0: Good morning, my beloved family.
1: How are you doing? I pray that you're well, and that you well. I know most of you are still probably not celebrating Christmas, but it still is Christmas for us in the traditional way uh, until February second. So we are still celebrating Christmas tide, which ends on the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord in the Temple. But regardless, um, it is a beautiful, beautiful time of year. And uh, Lent, isn't that amazing? Lent is not too far away. Uh, Easter, the resurrection of the God who became man for us um, and who died for us uh, is risen, 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 risen from the dead. It's such a beautiful thing, you see? And we need to keep the um, uh, the whole play of salvation history before our minds and our hearts every single day. Every single day when you wake up, you should say, good morning, Lord. You should get on your knees, pray a Hail Mary, ask him to lead you through the day. But before you do anything, give him thanks. Always give him thanks. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, rather to the Thessalonians, that we should give uh, God thanks in all things. And in all things at that point is things that are not good in all things, because he wrote, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. I, pr- I promise you, beloved, if you give thanks in all things, you your life will change. Uh, I told the story, I don't think too long ago, of um, uh, a wonderful holy priest that I worked uh, with for years, and um, one day something went wrong and uh, with uh, something wasn't done right where he was concerned. And I went into his office and I said, why aren't you angry? I want to know right now why you are not angry. And he said, well, justice needs to be done. So it was wrong. He said, but he said, you cannot be angry and grateful at the same time. And he said to me, I'm grateful. For who God is and all that He has done, and if i'm angry, then i can't be grateful, I could be grateful and then be angry, I could be angry, and then be grateful, but I can't be both at the same time. I never forgot that because it's so true. You can let something anger you, but then the gratitude for all God has done is out the window, and nothing that angers us. Um, or that dis- disturbs us or that depresses us will ever be greater than what God has done for us to free us, to forgive us to save us, to bring us to heaven nothing will be greater than that so if you practice gratitude, someone once rhymed at the attitude of gratitude um, your life will change hold on a moment um, so Um, we are full of gratitude today because it's Friday and it's a day, beloved, where the Church tells us to abstain from meat every single Friday in honor of the Lamb of God who gave His life for us. Now, uh, you know that uh, from Vatican II that the faithful have been given the liberty to abstain from something else Not because they like meat, but because they can't have meat for some reason. So maybe someone is um, too young or too old or, or sickly or a vegetarian and you never have meat. But you're not excused from the Friday sacrifice. So if I'm reminding you now, beloved, and you've already had meat for breakfast, then you can... Um you can think of another sacrifice for our Lord that you could make today. But every single Friday, we are required, it's not a suggestion, it's not a good idea, it's required that we abstain on Friday uh, from something. So we need to make some kind of sacrifice every single Friday. That was never changed. And again, the um, abstinence from meat, is the the number one that we should do, and only if we cannot uh, can we substitute another sacrifice. And so, only if we cannot or we do not, for again a reason such as being a vegetarian, then you don't um, then you don't abstain from meat. Um, but because you never eat meat, so there's no sacrifice in that. But you do abstain from something else. Okay. Now I am looking up our spot from yesterday. We are reading through um, and speaking through and teaching through and going through together and having our lives enriched together by the Catechism Explained, the Exhaustive Explanation of the Catholic Religion, Spiro, uh, Spirago Clark. And again, it's a practical manual for use for the preacher, the catechist, the teacher, and the family. Papas, mamas, you can take your children through this. This is wonderful for the family, Um, not just for scholars. uh, You don't need to have somebody teach it to you because the explanation is here. And um, we began with part one, which is faith. We went through the introduction, and we began with part one, which is faith. And point one of part one is the knowledge of God. And... What is the knowledge of God? How important is that to us? Again, not knowing about God, but truly knowing Him. You can't know Him unless you first know about Him. You need to know who He is, what He has done. And then any complaints we have about God will vanish, completely vanish. If you, beloved, have complaints about God, if you, why doesn't He do this? Why doesn't He do that? Why did He do this? Why did He allow this? If those are your complaints, beloved, then you have a God of your own making, but you don't have the God who is. When you have the God who is, and you know the God who is, and you worship the God who is, not a God of your own making, your own choosing, you will never question him you will never you may not understand things you could say why how come lord but it won't be a negative in your heart it'll just be the cry of a child i know mommy i know you're right but why why we can ask why we can learn that's okay but not to complain and not to question god's motives or his power or his involvement in our lives um so under the knowledge of God, we have three points. First, and we read the first two yesterday, I won't repeat them. Um, first, the happiness of the angels and the saints consists in the knowledge of God. And no, no one knows him more than the angels or the saints who are already in his presence. No one knows, no one knows him more. They've already seen him face to face. Second point is the knowledge of God is all important, for without it, there cannot be any happiness on earth or a well-ordered life. I'll repeat that one. The knowledge of God is all important, for without it, there cannot be any happiness on earth or a well-ordered life. So if your life is chaos, if you're uh, continually um, unhappy, then... um, then there's something wrong, there's something missing about your knowledge of God. In fact, we only got halfway through that one yesterday, so let me read it. I'll read that one. I'll just repeat the first part of it. Uh, Hold on a moment now. It's a very big book, and I'm in a very awkward spot trying to shine light on it. The knowledge of God is the food of our soul. Did you hear that? The knowledge of God... Is the food of our soul. Without it, the soul feels hungry. We become discontented. So if you're discontented, you could say, well, it's because of my circumstances. You don't know what I live through. And you'd be right. I don't know what you live through, but God does. And um, if you don't know Him, you'll be discontented. If you walk around discontented in life, beloved, um, It's not because of your circumstance. It may be because you have much growth to do in the Christian life, for sure. We all do. But it's because you don't know God. I can tell you that. I have so many calls, so many emails during the day. And people say, why this? Why did God allow this? Why am I unhappy? Why did God never send me someone to marry? Why this? Why this? A million questions. Are they legitimate? Of course they are. They're, they're, they're the fruit of our human fallenness, the fu- fruit of our human weakness. They're understandable in our ignorance and all of that. But it's because we don't know God. That's why. Otherwise, we wouldn't be discontent. He who does not possess interior peace cannot enjoy riches, health, or any of the goods of this life. They all become distasteful to him. Yet few think about this food of the soul. They busy themselves, as our Lord says, with the meat that perishes. Without the knowledge of God, a man is like a man who walks in the dark and stumbles at every step. He has no end or aim in this life, no consolation in misfortune, and no hope in death. What an awful life to live. hmm? He cannot have any solid or lasting happiness or any true um, contentment. Without a knowledge of God, a well-ordered life is impossible. Without a knowledge of God, beloved, a well-ordered life is impossible. Just as an untilled field produces no good fruit, so a man who has not the knowledge of God can produce no good works. Ignorance and forgetfulness of God are the cause of most of the sins that men commit, rash and false oaths, um, neglect—I'm sorry—rash and false oaths, neglect of the service of God, and of and of the sacraments, the love of gold, the sinful indulgence of use—I'm sorry—I'm I'm, uh, having a hard time seeing this. Hold on a moment the love of gold, the sinful indulgence of the passions are all due to willful ignorance and forgetfulness of God. Thus, the prophet Hosea exclaims, There is no knowledge of God in the land. Cursing and lying and killing and theft and adultery have overflowed. That's back in Hosea's day in the Old Testament, a thousand years before Christ. And it's the same today, beloved, and we have Christ. Saint Ignatius of Loyola of Loyola cries out, O oh God, thou joy of my soul, if only men knew thee, they never would offend thee. And experience shows that the jail that in the jails the greater part of the prisoners are those who know nothing of God. You see, they wouldn't be in jail if they knew God. They wouldn't be in jail. They are without God in this world. When Frederick of Prussia at length recognized that the want of the knowledge of God was the cause of the increase in crime, he exclaimed, then I will have religion introduced into the country. There you go. This is why the learning and the understanding of the catechism, which is nothing else than an abridgment of the Christian religion, is all-important. But a mere knowledge of the truths of religion is not sufficient. They must also be practiced. They must also be practiced. And I've often thought of um, the Catholic family who does not Faithfully go to church on Sunday. Excuse me one moment, beloved. Of the family or the individual who does not go to church on Sunday and the neighbors who are not Christian, or maybe, let me just say, they'll be Jewish, the Jewish neighbors speak to them about their religion. And the and the Catholics want to witness to their Jewish neighbors. And the Jewish people say, we we, we observe the Sabbath every Saturday. We're in shul, in the synagogue. And the Jewish people say, well, we observe on Sunday. Our Sabbath is Sunday. Our day of rest, rather, our day of worship is Sunday. And the Jewish people will say, but you don't always go to church on Sunday. And they'll say, well, we know, we know we don't, but but we believe it. And the Jewish people will say, no, you don't. What you believe is what you do. If you want to know what you believe, look at your life. Because what you say is not what you believe. What you do is what you believe. The Jewish people are very pragmatic. And they will tell you what you believe by what you do. And you'll fight it. But they will be right. But they will be right. It's An intellectual belief is one thing. And you can say, well, it's more than that. It's my heart belief. Well, it's your emotions. It's not your true belief or knowledge of God. It's what you do. It's your life. It's your pattern. It's the things you put first. It's the things you allow to get in the way of God that will show you what you think and believe of God. Point three now. So point one on the knowledge of God is that the happiness of the angels and the saints consists in the knowledge of God. Point two, the knowledge of God is all-important, for without it, there cannot be any happiness on earth or a well-ordered life. And now point three, we arrive at a right knowledge of God through faith in the truths which God has revealed. We arrive at a knowledge of God a right knowledge of God through the faith in the truths which God has revealed. And to that, this commentary says, it is true that by means of reason and from the contemplation, it is true by the means of reason and from the contemplation of the creatures that God has made man can arrive Something's not right what I'm reading here. It is true that by means of reason and from the contemplation of the creatures that God has made, man can arrive at a knowledge of God. Do you hear that? From a contemplation of the creation and the creatures that God has made, man can arrive at a knowledge of God. That's Romans one twenty. because the knowledge of God is within all of us it says, and so that we are without excuse for not knowing that there is a God, and that's apart from Christ. And quoting Psalm 18, which will be 19 in the new uh, order, in the new uh, newer uh, scriptures, the heavens show forth the glory of God. You see, we have two ways of knowing God, even without the revelation of Christ. One is because the heavens declare that there's a heaven maker, that there's a designer, that there's a creator. And God has put that knowledge in our heart. The authors go on to say, But our reason is so weak and prone to error that without revelation it is difficult for man to attain to a clear and correct knowledge of God. What strange and perverted views of the deity we find among heathen nations god, therefore um, God, therefore, in his i'm sorry i'm having a hard time on this one here, God, therefore, in his mercy, comes to our aid with revelation through believing the truths that God has revealed. man attains to a clear and correct knowledge of God, hence St Anselm says. The more I am nourished with the food of faith, the more my understanding is satisfied. That's true for all of us, beloved. Faith is a divine light that shines in our souls. It is like a watchtower from which we can see that which cannot be seen from the plain below. Faith, beloved, is like a watchtower from which we can see that which cannot be seen from the plane below. We learn respecting God, that which cannot be learned by some more reason, by more reason, from the world around. It is a gla- It is a glass through which we perceive all the divine perfections. It is a staff which supports our feeble reason and enables it to know God better. There are two books from which we gain knowledge of God, the book of nature and the Holy Scriptures, which is the book of Revelation. We learn of God by nature and the Scriptures, beloved, and the Church combines and teaches all through through nature, through creation, and through the written Word of God, which is God's revelation to us. It's very wonderful, dear ones. No one, no one is without excuse for not knowing God. Not a single soul is without excuse for not knowing God. Many people will be without excuse for not knowing our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, because both the Word of God, the Scriptures, and our Lord are known through special revelation. They need to be particularly revealed to us, but... God has already revealed himself to us in his creation of us um, and in the heavens, the creation that surrounds us. Um, we have just a very few minutes before the break. I'm not going to go on with the book today. I want to read you just a section that supports what uh, Spirago Clark have been saying, what these authors have been saying. And it's in Romans 1. And it says that Um, uh, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They didn't give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds or animals or reptiles. Therefore, now listen, beloved, this will give you a picture of what is, what is the state of the world today and of the human being today. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. All you need to do is read LifeSite News, um, pick up the news of each day, uh, secular or religious, and you'll see how this bears out. For this reason, um, the Apostle Paul is writing this to the Romans. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. You might think I'm reading the headlines today. I'm not. I'm reading scriptures that were written 2,000 years ago, beloved. And since, continuing to read Romans chapter one, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind and to improper conduct. They were filled with all manner of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity. They are gossips. Listen, listen, beloved, to where gossips is included. In the, in the same line as haters of God, um, murderers, uh, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Children, listen to that. If you're disobedient to parents, you are grouped with gossips and murderers and slanderers. They are foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but approve those who practice them. Beloved, if you're included in any one of these, um, you are not on your way to heaven because none of these people, none of these, the faithless, the heartless, the slanderers, the gossips, the, the, the haughty, the boastful, Um, all of them, will not ever see God. But you see, St. Paul would say, but so were uh, most of you. I was that. But we have been redeemed. We have been saved. Our lives have been transformed. And if we continue in this life, there's no salvation for us, beloved. There's the music for our break. Um, And this is the time for you to call in with... Anything whatsoever on your heart, I will be right back.
0: Displaying a Catholic Radio bumper magnet on your car is a great way to evangelize without even saying a word. It offers others the ability to tune in, in the privacy of their vehicle, and open their heart to Christ and His Church. Request your free Catholic Radio bumper magnets today. Visit thestationofthecross.com and click the Promote tab at the top of our website. That's thestationofthecross.com. Then click the Promote tab. Thank you for supporting Catholic Radio and helping to spread the gospel message to everyone else on the road. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit thestationofthecross.com for details Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at one 877 5483 or email her at mother at com. Welcome back, uh, beloved. <coughs> Hold on a
1: moment. So sorry. Welcome back to Mother Miriam live. I'm determined to get rid of this cold and cough. I am. I am. Um, uh, and uh, you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart whatsoever uh, at toll free 1-877-511-5483 or to email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Kristen, we have from Los Angeles on the line. Hello, Kristen. Yes, good morning, Mother. I'm very sorry
3: about your cold, but we are all suffering with you.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, that's very comforting.
3: (laughs) I wanted to ask you, because we're talking about honoring and dishonoring the body, and you have such a good background because of your Jewish heritage, I would like to ask you to please explain to us the Jewish History, because all first Christians were Jews, and our traditions That's in right. honoring the body when we bury it come from those traditions. Which I, I mean, you were talking yesterday about procreative love. Again, you know the the, the whole wonderful concept of a child created by God and the parents in procreative love. Mm -hmm. Like the Blessed Mother, the highest procreative love that we knew and what she turned out to be. And what is deprived obviously of these children who are, you know, we we now have no respect for the body. The child uh, is dumped, you know, those on the pill, the body is dumped into the toilet, uh, the sewage, the garbage. Um, same with the bodies of siblings, brothers and sisters of a child conceived in a petri <laughs> dish with you know, and so on., yes. but what let's go back. I know Tobias, you know, risked That's his right. life to bury his Jewish brethren. Why is it that even now in Israel, when somebody's blown up by terrorists, they take, everything that's soaked in blood, and they bury the body within 24 hours. And I mean, right. you know, these Jewish customs, explain to us what's going on here right. and why the early Christians who were Jews, you know, created the catacombs, buried these bodies. I keep running into Catholics that are doing
1: horrible things. I know, with Kristen. Ashes. Kristen, uh, the answer is in the way you've asked the question. We've lost respect for God, And we've lost respect for his creation. If we don't respect the body, it's because we don't respect God. It's his creation. And and as we speak about life being God's creation from birth till natural death, we have no right to interfere with birth. We have no right to interfere with natural death. And we have no right to burn the body. Now, let me just say this. Cremation is, would have been and is today to Orthodox Jews an abomination. Um, it is against God. And the reason that the early Christians, as you say, who were Jews, would never cremate a body is because they respected God's laws, which haven't changed. The body is not less sacred because of Christ. It's more sacred. God showed us how sacred the body was by becoming one of us. Um, and so um, in the Jewish uh, thought um cremation is is really an abomination, and so they will not do it when you say that the body is buried let 's say if it 's blown up in war within twenty four hours that 's that i can 't speak to because normally, under Jewish thinking, the spirit uh, hovers over the body for four days, which was the case with Lazarus, which is why Jesus left him in the tomb when they said that he was buried uh, and didn 't come right away because uh, the people needed to know that he was really dead, and they consider after four days a time of burial, and that's why Jesus raised him after four days. But um, cremation is um, a disrespect of the body. It's disrespect of God, the creator, um, and um, I there's a site you can go to, uh, Christine or anybody else, uh, if you want true, true tu- Jewish teaching. Um, because most of you, you'll have many Jewish people today who are cremated because, again, they've lost respect for God and respect for the creation. Um, but let me just see um, um, something here. If I'm, I'm looking up on uh, a very Orthodox Jewish site, um, and there are rabbinic teachings that speak about this. If I had a little time for your question, I would have looked them up. But Jewish law, in Jewish law, I'm on a good site here. The, um, um, the dead must be buried in the earth. Um, cremated remains, I'm reading from an article here, are not interred in a Jewish cemetery. Um, we are told that many of the traditional laws of mourning... Are not observed after passing of an individual whose body was cremated, right? Now all my parents, uh, grandparents, everybody are are gone now, and we spend a solid week calling sitting shiva. It's a week of mourning. Uh, we covered the wind, the mirrors in our house. We covered everything. We we sat. We sat with. We we uh, didn't do anything for the whole week. We mourned the dead, um, not because there was no hope for eternal life. Uh, just because of the reverence for what God has created. And so if a body was created, there was no mourning. the, the it was not observed. Um, so I I couldn't tell you a lot more than that from my personal knowledge. Um, Christine, you could look up uh, Chabad, C-H-A-B-A-D dot org, it's it's truly orthodox teaching, and it will tell you not what most Jews celebrate today, but what has been the case through history and should be the case in Catholicism and was until our modern day when we've let go of so much, uh, so much that is, um, uh, that honors God. Does that answer? Yeah. Uh, good.
3: No that's okay. very helpful and especially where you pointed out because this is true also in the Catholic way that we have a period traditionally of 3 days or 4 days as you said of um of being sure that that yeah. person is dead.
0: Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And that the, where where I got a little confused was that I had heard that when someone dies um and maybe this is a newer jewish custom that the jews want to be sure maybe it's that within 24 hours they are having those prayers said immediately okay. and we do the same with prayers for the dying you know That's opening right. the yeah okay
1: absolutely thank you absolutely. and and
3: and please discuss this more because we need to hear it
1: yeah yeah, I, well, it, it's not often the subject comes up. We're we're talking about life, but we should talk about uh, a very respectful death for the life that God has given us. God bless you, Kristen. Thanks so much, and beloved, there is the music for our break. So we'll be back right after the break with our last segment. Again, you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free one eight seven seven five. I'm sorry one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the will be right back.
2: We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture. Or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, Thank you for helping to save the culture.
4: Users of iCatholic Radio are leaving inspiring reviews in the iTunes and Google Play stores. Margie says, my go-to app. I love this channel. I can listen while busy around the house or driving in the car. I love the variety of programs. Keep up the good work. Michaela from New Zealand says, I love this app. I have it on Bluetooth and my car radio and listen to it all day, every day, and am encouraged in my Catholic faith. I would recommend this to the world, whether Christian or not, because it speaks to all people to become better people. I am now a huge follower of the American Catholic way of life, because it's very similar to the way I was brought up in Fiji. The priests on the station are very straightforward, but are very understanding toward the audience at the same time. Love it, love it, love it. If you haven't reviewed iCatholic Radio yet, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our page at the iTunes or Google Play
0: Store. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam
1: Live. This is our last segment. We've got 15 minutes together um, for your calls, your emails, your texts, anything you wish. And uh, once again, the toll free number to call or text is 1 877 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of We have an email from someone who writes it anonymously and says hello mother my father is a fallen away catholic and my mother had divorced him and married another man they had an annulment done but my mother is no longer catholic she now identifies as christian but she never goes to church she says she became catholic for my father a long time ago and she's done with that She also doesn't want to talk about religion with me whenever I bring it up. I've lost my temper a few times with her, but recently I have no idea how to talk to her, so I let it go. Whenever I confront my father about Mass or tell him about the dangers he faces of not going to give God his due or going to confession, he changes the conversation. I have proceeded to lose my temper and admonish him, then get accused of being holier than thou, as well as being asked if I'm a priest. Well, it, it's it's beyond that. You, you, you shouldn't be admonishing your dad or your stepdad. That's also disrespectful. Um, after, however, several times I reinforced that I care about his soul, and that's the only reason I bring up the issue. My dad later told me that he knows that I care for him, but I invite him to go back to Mass. Oh, you said your father, so now your stepfather, right. Um, sorry. But I invite him to go back to Mass at least weekly to no avail. I lead prayer with him when we eat together. As I live with him now, my mother, on the other hand, is impossible to talk to about deep subjects because she is in the mindset that happiness of self is the end goal of life and God will accept her no matter what. I have been praying for them and giving offerings for them. um, during the consecration and when I receive the Eucharist. Do you have any advice? Also, will you please add my family to your prayers? Thank you. Well, we add all of you who call in and who write to our prayers. Every single day we bring you into our rosary. Um, My dear brother, um, you're not going to win souls by getting angry and admonishing them and um, bringing up subjects that they just uh, they have an aversion to. They're not going to listen. They don't want it. And um, you're not going to win anybody that way. My suggestion is that you stop speaking about it altogether and just live the life. They haven't really seen you live the life. If you've been at them, if you've been arguing with them, if you've been forcing them, if you've been pushing them, they may not have seen you live a Catholic life. You see, yes, we need to speak the truth without any question whatsoever, but we all, they need to see Christ in us and only love the reason that we love jesus said is because and the scriptures say is because he first loved us your parents know intellectually you love them they may even know it emotionally but they need to see it in your faith that faith does not eliminate love um and of course in your heart i know it doesn't but to them um it's it's almost on the side they need to know you care about them uh, more than you care about their quote unquote religion. If they know you care about them, then uh, they'll be more open to your your faith and be more open to not your admonishing, not your forcing them, uh, not your pleading with them, but your but you're giving them the gospel. So I would say that when you're with your mom, uh, they're they're on their guard with you already. Um, because they're sure you're going to bring something up and they want to be polite because they love you. But I would say stop talking about it. Give your life for them. Love them in every way you can. Be considerate. Be a loving son and let them see Christ in you. It was my one, just about my best friend many years ago when I became Christian, not even Catholic yet. She's very Jewish. Who said she never wanted me to mention? She wanted to remain friends, friends, but I could never re- mention the subject of God again, ever, 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 ever. I respected that. We remained friends, and I went on to live my life. She saw the changes in we, me, but we never spoke about it. Ten years later, she asked me what what was going on in my life when we were visiting, and I said to her, "If I tell you what's going on in my life, I'm going to talk about what you don't want me to. So don't. I don't want to do that." I don't want to offend you, because this was a case of preaching the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. She knew that my life was God. She knew that, and Christ. And finally, she said to me, no, Roz, my given name, Rosalind, she said, no, Roz, I want to know. This is not a a fad. This is not a passing phase in your life. This is real. It's been 10 years. Your life has changed, and I want to know what's changed it. I want to know what you believe. It was extraordinary. It was fantastic. Now, your parents may not have 10 years for you to tell them, but they do know what you've told them, and now they need to see it, love in your life. So stop telling them and live as Christ among them. And if you live as Christ among them without words, without pushing it on them, they will not accuse you of being holier than thou. They will not. Okay. We have a text uh, from someone who writes in anonymously again, who says "Hi, Mother, happy to have you uh, on on air live. I recently ran into two priests, one I see at work not wearing his uniform now i don 't know what if you mean his clerics his priestly garb if that 's what you mean by uniform, and the other I ran into the grocery store, also not in uniform." It's clerics. The word is clerics, not uniform. I thought when out in public, they are to represent the priesthood. Is there anything wrong with not wearing clerical clothing in public? Yes. Yes, there is. A priest should wear his clerical uh, garb, his priestly clothing, all the time all the time except when shower and sleeping he should wear it all the time that's that's what i believe he is a priest he's not on duty and off duty he's a priest 24 7 and i believe that priests should wear their clerics all the time you never know uh priests never know when they affect others even if others don't speak to them they think of god they may go to confession because they see a priest a block away in, in clerics and they may go back to church on Sunday for that reason um, it's uh, I, I am enormously disheartened when I see a priest in in street clothes it it's to me it's it's simply awful and it is a betrayal of the vocation okay we have an email from Niroshini, it looks like, N-I-R-O-S-H-I-N-I, Niroshini. Dear Mother, I'm from Sri Lanka. I have a question, which I asked many, but the answers still go against my right conscience. Our country's people, according to the Buddhist and Sinhala culture, used to pray, pay respect to the teachers and adults by kneeling at their feet as a worshiping gesture. As children, we used to fall on our knees and bow down to parents, teachers, priests, etc. But after I experienced God in my personal life in a strong way, I feel as the act is against the commandments. So I taught my child not to fall at anyone's feet, but to greet a u o on it's it's in quotes a y u second word o w a n as per the Sinhala culture, but now my child is forced to bow down by kneeling by the Catholic teachers from his government school and Sunday catechism class. They say that we should pay respect to teachers that way. do we need to follow tradition or heart? How can I explain? to my six-year-old boy to disobey his teacher. has This has been a rising matter of uneasiness when I and my son only have different opinions against a whole lot of teachers. But I can stand firm. How can I get my child to stand firm with God while I'm away? Or am I really wrong regarding this matter? I do really need your help. Thank you. Sounds like you might live in two different countries, or at least you're not together all the time, certainly with he's in school. Uh, You didn't say that you were Catholic, but I'm going to guess you are because you want to know if it's against the commandments of God. It is not against the commandments of God. We worship God. We don't worship a human being. And when we bow down to someone, um, we're not giving them the worship that God is due. It is a degree of respect and if a country has that degree of i particularly find those from sri lanka and india as a whole as enormously beautiful people tremendously respectful usually when you you greet them they put their hands together in a in a a, a prayer respectful measure and bow their heads mostly like that. I find it extraordinarily beautiful. We're bowing to the creature that God has made. And as Catholics, we're bowing to that creature and to Christ in that creature. So I don't find anything wrong with it. We're not worshiping the teacher. We're not worshiping parents. We're not worshiping those in authority. We're paying them due respect. And I don't see anything wrong with bowing on your knees to them whatsoever. They know that you're not treating them as God. But because you honor God, you honor them. And if they have a custom of bowing on your knees before them, I don't think that you should worry about that. Your child uh, should and probably does know the difference between um, bowing to receive the Eucharist, bowing before God, and bowing before a human authority or teacher. I I don't think that's a problem. When I was in my religious novitiate, Um, when I went to France, um, and even in America here, we bowed before our superior. We went on our knees to confess our sins and we bowed, or at least our faults, and we bowed before the superior. It's a sign of respect. And authority. And there's nothing wrong with that. Clearly, there's a difference between that and with God. So I would teach you, I wouldn't teach you, I would um, suggest, I would even beg you, don't teach your six-year-old to disobey his teacher. uh, Teach him to respect his teacher by respecting the customs of his country and bowing down to his teacher. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as in his heart he knows the difference between God and his teacher. We have um, uh, someone from Long Island um, who says, I'm not sure what that is, if it's a text or an email, I don't know what that is, but uh, the question is, why doesn't the Novus Ordo Mass have different readings Oh no, why does the Novus Ordo Mass have different readings than the Latin Mass though they are both on the same day? If I attend the Novus Ordo Mass in the morning, can I attend the Latin Mass in the evening and receive communion? Yes. You the the church allows us To attend Mass as often as we wish, but to receive communion no more than twice in a day. So you can receive communion twice. That you can do. To receive the communion, you can come in late to Mass and still receive communion. But if you want to receive it twice, the second time, you must be there at the full Mass. And the reason that the Novus Ordo and the Latin Mass have different readings is because they follow different calendars. And so, um, you will see that, uh, the feast days fall out differently. It's a great, great grief to me that that's happened within the church with uh, following Vatican II with the new mass. It's a tremendous grief to many people that, um, that the, the saints day has been changed. The calendars have been changed. We have two calendars now in one church. I, I grieve at that truly, but that's why the, the mass is different. Uh, the Novus Ordo has readings from the from the Old and New Testament plus the Gospel. Uh, usually, the uh, Latin Mass has readings only from the New Testament and the Gospel. However, during the whole Easter season. It's just about and the and the Advent season. It's almost a hundred percent Old Testament, so they vary. But that's why, because they're two, because the nov, Novus Ordo means new order of Mass, and that's why they have different readings. It's a new order, it's a new calendar, uh, and new readings. So yes, again, you can go to both and receive communion at both. All right. Um, we have an email from Monica but there's our closing music beloved so we won't be able to take it um, and we will start with that on monday live your faith beloved live it live it in love uh, as jesus said john chapter 15 it's by your love that the world will know the father sent the son read john uh, his, his read chapter fifteen. Read his high priestly prayer in John chapter seventeen. That was all given at the Last Supper, and you should read it and reread it and reread it a thousand times. And that's the only way to preach the gospel is to live in love and preach the gospel, but in love. Beloved, have a wonderful weekend. God bless you, and we'll be with you on Monday.